normal over here. It's always abnormal here. But I've had a very busy schedule for the last couple of weeks. Of course, not necessarily preaching, but I was in revival in a school assembly on Thursday afternoon, then revival Thursday night in Valiant, Oklahoma, and then I would have to leave Valiant, Oklahoma on Friday morning to travel to Olive Baptist Church to preach Wayne Spencer's funeral, tag team that with Brother Marty Brock, and it was a two o'clock funeral, so if we'd done our best and got out within an hour, I was to preach revival again Friday night at seven o'clock. You do the math on that. Funerals at two, do our best to get out at three. It's a four-hour drive to Valiant from Drumright area. If I left at three, it would be four, five, six. Revival services started at And Trey couldn't fly me. It was stormy. Sometimes you don't get to fly because of the storm, so you don't fly in the air, you fly in the car. And I walked in at Valiant at three minutes till seven. But here's what I want to say. In those days, these past few weeks, I have spoke to three baseball teams. And Scott Ogilvie would tell you when I was the dugout dad, when Trey was playing Little League Baseball, one day I said, I can tell you how to win this ball game. I got out of the dugout. He was the coach, and he turned around. And he said, get back in the dugout. You can't spell baseball. My words to him is I can spell win, and I'll tell you how you can win. Sometimes you don't have to spell the sports. You just got to know how to win. But look here. Why in the world would I speak to three baseball teams? And I was reminded, it was ringing in my head. Every time I'd speak to them, I can't even spell baseball. So when I sat on that podium at Wayne Spencer's funeral, and when that family started coming in, Bryce, I was thankful I wasn't looking at baseball players. There's a bunch of cowboys. Boy, I felt right back comfortable because I can relate to the rodeo arena with the arena of life. And so I felt pretty comfortable in preaching that message with cowboy and rodeo analogy to cowboys and rodeo people. Are you with me? But as soon as I left there on that four-hour trip, the Lord began to speak to me about something I didn't know much about, and that was the baseball. And let me know that I would preach on baseball... This morning. Isn't it like God to stretch you? Come on, God, let me preach on bareback riding. They gotta mark them out. That's salvation. Then they gotta spur them on the neck. That's church attendance. Come on! So, I get caught up and I'm gonna be preaching on baseball. You with me? So I got it. I got this. Lord, I'll preach a sermon. Cover the bases. And I thought, I don't even really know what that means. So I dialed an old baseball coach buddy of mine. I said, man, I'm driving back Valiant, and I, I'm on, the Lord's put on my heart. i got to preach on baseball. And I said, I'm just wondering about covering the bases. Wouldn't that work as a message? Oh, I guess it would. I said, what's it mean? I said, when you say cover the bases, what exactly does that mean? He said, well, if the, they, they bunt it, the first baseman has to come and get the ball, then the pitcher or second base will scoot over and cover first base. I said, yeah. He said, second base has to go after a grounder, and he moves one side. The shortstop scoots over and covers second base. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, and then the third baseman, if, if he has to go one way or the other, again, it could be either the shortstop or the pitcher that covers third base. And man, I was getting confused now who was on what base and what. And he said, and if the pitcher has to go ever get a, the pitcher, if the catcher ever has to go get a ball, the, then the pitcher immediately comes home. And I thought, good night, Nellie. I don't know if I can cover the bases. But if I was to preach a message covering the bases, it would have a theological hole in it, wouldn't it? See, we don't often think of baseball having an offense and defense. It's pretty easy in football. You're either an offensive player or a defensive player. In basketball, it's pretty easy, Miss Liza. Either one end's the offensive end for you, one end's the defensive for you. Right? In baseball, we often lose that, but the truth of the matter is, when I hung up with that baseball coach, I realized covering the bases would be defense. 
When you're at bat, you're at offense. And let me tell you something. The theological hole in it, Matthew 16. The disciples come to Jesus when He arrives at Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus says to the disciples, Who do men say that I am? And the disciples answered Him, Well, some think you're John the Baptist. Some think you're Elijah. Others, Jeremiah. And more of them just think you're one of the prophets. But it always gets personal with Jesus because He turns and He says, Who do you say that I am? And that's really all that matters when you stand before God. And Peter said, you are the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood is not who revealed that to you, but my Father in heaven. Now listen to this. And upon this rock, Peter, little rock, upon this rock, not Peter, the statement that you just made, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, on that statement, I will build my church. You know what he said next? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Many churches have misinterpreted that, and I'll tell you why. They are coming inside their four walls. They're coming to praise. They're coming to worship. They're going to Sunday school. They're listening to a sermon, and they've come inside the four walls, and they become defensive. We're just not going to let hell storm our building there where we praise and we worship and we study the Word and we hear the sermons. But listen to me, that's not what that verse means. That verse means we as Christians can storm the gates of hell and the gates of hell could not do anything about us storming them in the name of Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm glad that I'm at a church that we're on the offensive. What was we doing at a basketball tournament a few weeks ago? I'll tell you what was done. We were storming the gates of hell because we would know some that was being captive to sin and Satan would be there. And we went to set the captives free. Why, Miss Joy? Did we set up a tent beside a cemetery? I'll tell you why. We're not locked up in four walls. We were storming the gates of hell to set captives free. And praise God, that's exactly what happened. Listen to me. Why did I drive to Idabel? Why did I drive to Cushing? Why did I do all that? Because listen, I'm not no defensive player. I'm an offensive player. I'm a soldier of the cross. And I'm storming the gates of hell. Why are we going to go pray up? set up at the tent on Tuesday. Why? Why can we have a pre-Roundup for Jesus kickoff deal with Wild Horse Ministries? Why are we going to have a Roundup for Jesus rodeo? Because we are a church that understands we was never meant to just defend it. We're meant to be on the offense and we are to storm the gates of hell. I'm real glad I'm a part of a church that understands what Matthew 16 means. We're not just to sit here and board up the doors and say they're not going to... We're to storm the gates of hell. So after talking to that coach, Marty, I'm thinking, I know the sermon's on baseball. I wanted to preach cover the bases. It's got a theological glitch in it because we're not on defense. So you know what you do when you don't know what to do? Lord, it's Rob again. It was my idea to preach a message, cover the bases, and it don't line up. So I just wondering what the message on baseball is. As then he just whispered, you should have called me first. So sometimes we think the other people have the message when he's always got the message. You with me? I said, well, give me a little lesson on baseball. It's good right here. Just being God. I said, I need a lesson on baseball. He said, I'm the pinch hitter. I said, you're the pinch hitter? Yeah, you all struck out. Romans 3, 23. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. I want you to look, everybody look up here. Every one of us struck out. Some of us endured a few more pitches than others. 
Some just three strikes, three out. Some of us got a few more pitches. We fouled a few balls here and we fouled a few balls here. But ultimately, Romans 3.23 says, Brother Dave, every one of us struck out. Think about that. God says, so therefore, I left the dugout of heaven to be the pinch hitter. And think about it. On Golgotha Field, Calvary Stadium, I think you'd all have to agree he knocked the ball out of the park. And I think we'd all have to agree it was a grand slam. Knocked everybody that was on base in. You with me? And so, man, I'm driving along just thinking, man, thank God for a pinch hitter that I never missed. But then he revealed to me after the death, burial, and resurrection, knocking the ball out of the park, he revealed to me, me the pitch hitter, I went back to the dugout of heaven. Therefore, you, cowboy, and the church, you're my pinch runners. So look here. You ever thought about the spiritual and the physical? They're opposite. They're opposite. In the physical, we move from life to death. The minute you're born, you start dying. You're moving toward death. Whether, whether death comes at 16 or like Wayne Spencer, 82, guess what? The minute you're born, you're moving from life to death. You got that? But in spiritual, isn't it just the opposite? We're dead in our sins and trespasses, so we're moving from death to life. Life to death, it's going to end. Death to life, it never ends. That's spiritual. And most people that, oh, yeah, I knew that preacher. But did you realize it's, that, it, it's more than just life to death and death to life? I think, mark your track, man. I'm pretty sure in track we run first and then we win. Spiritual, you win. Salvation, then you run. In the physical, we fight, and then we win. In the spiritual, you win, then you fight. You want to argue, do it with Paul. He won on the road to Damascus, and then he began to run, and he began to fight. And he moved from death that day to life because he said, I won, and then I ran. I run, and then I fight. I was dead, and now I'm fixing to live forever in heaven. We better grasp the physical and the spiritual are completely opposite. You understand that? So look here. The pinch hitter has knocked the ball out of the park. Grand slam, right? We won. Now we run. I'm not preaching today covering the bases. I'm preaching touch, or if you will, tag the bases. Because even when the ball gets knocked out of the park, when you baseball people, correct me if I'm wrong, you still have to go tag first, second, third, and then cross home. If you don't tag them, it don't matter if the ball's knocked out of the park or not. It don't count. Spiritually speaking, is everybody staying with me? Ball's been knocked out of the park. Pinch hitters, Jesus Christ. So now what's the deal? It's time for you and I to run. Tag the bases. Touch the bases. If you're ready for it, say, I am. First base is going to represent no. K-N-O-W. That's salvation. Now, often when I go preach revivals, look here. I get there and a preacher will say, man, I'm so concerned about some of our people. They're saved and they don't even know it. And my response is, I'm concerned, but probably more concerned about the ones that are lost and don't know it. But look at me and listen. Over 20 years, I've learned there's a problem with either or. If you're saved, you need to know it. And if you're lost, you need to know it. And you need to get it figured out because the, home, the ball's been knocked out of the park. And first base is that you can know that you know that you know you're saved. 
I, I, I forgot my notes in my Bible. I don't need the notes. I just need the Bible. Crud, I've preached it three times already. I want to show you guys something that I done this morning, and there's a good chance I could have missed it. This page is not, but this page is the first page of First John. Can, I mean, it's a long ways back there, but can you guys in the very back, I know you can in the front, see that orange in that paper? See that orange? That's a highlight. Orange highlight. Do you see it? This side. That's not First John. This side starts First John. Do you see that orange there? Okay, now watch this. I'm going to turn it to the next page of First John. Do you see the orange there? You see that orange there? Do you see that orange there? Now, now First John, it's real short. So that's it. That's the end of First John. So did you see the first page? Lots of orange. See the second turn? Lots, lots, lots of orange. Do you see the last two pages of the book of John? Can you see that? It's orange. Now, I know you can't see what the orange is and what's highlighted, so I'm going to tell you. Wouldn't you agree my Bible looks like a polka-dotted dress? An orange polka-dotted dress, doesn't it? You want me to tell you what the orange is highlighted? K-N-O-W. That's how many times it's in First John. You circle, you highlight the word K-N-O-W in First John, you'll leave it looking like a polka-dotted dress. And when we get to first base, listen, we can know that we're saved. See, sometimes we get this all out of whack. Rob, you saved? Yes, sir. Ain't that kind of prideful and arrogant? You can call it what you want. It's biblical. So some of you think that's prideful and arrogant to say, yes, I'm saved with confidence. Somebody asks if you're saved and you say, well, I think so. I hope so. And you think that's humble? Well, it's unbiblical. To say, I know I'm saved, it's biblical. Call it prideful, call it arrogant. I just showed you the Word of God. It's biblical to know that you're saved. And you want to have this false sense of humility. Well, I think I am. I hope I make it. I hear that all the time. That's unbiblical. You can know that you know that you know that you're saved. And the basis of that is the Scripture. One of the verses that says you can K-N-O-W know is 1 John 5, 13. Listen to this. These things I have written that you who believe in the Son of God may know that you have eternal life. Can I break that down? Just a few words in that. Number one, these things I have written. And the Greek word there for written means in stone. Never to have an amendment. Amendment added to it, never to have anything added to, never to have anything taken away. This is the Word of God. It is in stone. What men write sometimes have to have amendments added to, deletions. Are you with me? But where the Word written there, He says, finished, done, over, in stone, not changing. That's God's Word. These things I have written in stone. What have I written? That you who believe, that's the next word I want to draw your attention to. That is believe in your heart in what? What's it say, Dave? In the Son of God. Who He is, God's Son, what He done, died on the cross, was buried and rose again. These things I have written, it's in stone. You who believe in your heart, who He is, what He done. That you may know. It doesn't say that you may hope. It doesn't say that you may think. It says that you may know. Two Greek words for know. One of them is know from experience. And sometimes our experiences, we don't know as much as we think we do because of our experience. Anybody ever been done there? I have. Because of experiencing cattle, I think I know, and then something brand new will pop up, and I think, never experienced that. Thought I knew, don't know. That's not the word used here. The other Greek word, and I try to pronounce them, but I can't. It means fact. That you may know. It's a fact. It's unchanging. That's the word know here. Now watch this. These things I've written, it's in stone. That you who believe in the Son of God, who He is, what He done. That you may know, not hope, not think. No. It's a fact. That you have six months of life. That you may have life till you sin again. 
Come on, ain't you glad what it says? Thank God, Rob, you can have this life till you mess up again. You done struck out. I had to be a pinch hitter. And guess what? I've written these things to you that you may know, since you believe in the Son of God, that you're going to have life until you strike out again. Mm-mm. Folks, you better get a hold of that verse. First base is we can know. These things I have written to you who believe in the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal. That is forever life. Do you get that? So what is the basis on us knowing we're saved or knowing we're lost? The Word of God. It'll tell you either or. You with me? It's the Bible, number one, not your feelings. I done a study this morning on the endocrine system. (laughs) Some of you, yeah. I done a study this morning on the endocrine system. I guess everybody knows what that is. That's the system, and it's got seven different glands. Thyroid, pituitary. It's glands. And let me just go ahead and say this, and don't chuckle, it ain't X-rated. Two of those females' ovaries and testicles. And I say that because you don't want to miss this. The endocrine system starts right here in your mind. What is the endocrine system? It delivers hormones to the bloodstream. You with me? What you're thinking has to do with whether it excretes too many or not enough. And when it excretes too many hormones in the blood system or not enough hormones in the blood system, you want me to tell you what happens? Your emotions get messed up. Feelings. And we fall into all kinds of sin because our mind is watching what's happening, listening to what's happening, going on by what we're seeing, and guess what? The endocrine system begins to excrete too much or not enough, and guess what? Our feelings go crazy. And when we're living by our feelings, we can have a mess. You're not saved by your feelings. And God knew something about the endocrine system because He created it. That's why He said, renew your mind with the Word of God. You better feed it with the facts because you can't live off your feelings. You'll never have the assurance of your salvation. Probably never will get saved. You with me? You got that? You guys didn't know I was such a doctor, did you? Better renew that mind. But the second thing that can cause us to doubt our salvation is people. Let me ask you this. Can a lost person ever evaluate a saved person? And before you answer that and get your foot in your mouth, if you let them evaluate, they'll they'll get you coming and they'll get you going. They'll get you. Can I illustrate? It's happened to me. When I first got saved, I mean, the the practice pin lights was on every night. That was the year I was trying to win the world. But I'm going to tell you what happened Wednesday night. I don't care. In the middle of practice, there was church over there. And, I mean, the horses got tied up. The calves got pinned. And and we might be dusty. We might be manure We might be bloody. But whoever was with me at the practice pen, they knew about 15 till 7 we tied the horses up, we pinned the calves, and we went to church. Them guys that rodeoed with me, they just knew that. I mean, he's not going to go to the bar. He's not going to, he's not going to go do this. He's not going to do that. And so you know what they said? Oh, Rob, he's a holy roller. Oh, he's just an old holy roller. He can't do this. He won't do that. He's a holy roller. He's a fanatic. Boy, I mean, even when they say that, I thought that's a good thing. I even come to the point where we got a bowling team and named ourselves the holy rollers. That's the truth. The whole truth. Nothing but the truth. But they got you, don't they? I mean, you just you just think, golly, I ain't no better than anybody else. I'm just trying. 
So you decide, well, maybe I don't need to be such a fanatic. And then you go ahead and, and, and you know, I, I wouldn't go to the casino to get the go-around buckle. You don't go to, I mean, oh, hey, fanatic. Well, then, okay, I don't want to be a fanatic and let the lost people think I'm a holy roller. Well, let me go to the casino and get my award. Oh, he's a hypocrite. <laughs> Come on. The lost world evaluating a Christian, they'll get you coming. And if they don't get you coming, they'll get you going. You can't never base your salvation on what they think of you. It's got to be the Bible. It can't be your feelings. It can't be, it can't be the other people. And look here, David can't even be yourself. I mean, when I got saved in that old Mack truck, I was just like, Peter, I'll never deny you. I won't never talk like I used to talk, and I won't never do what I used to do. I mean, I'm all fired up. And when you get saved, you've been in these altars, you've been there. Ain't that your thoughts? I'm going to live for you, God. I'm not going to say that no more. I'm not going to act like that no more. And then one day you said that, and you say, I can't believe I said that. I told God I would never say that again. But you did. I told God I'd never do that again. But you did. So today, some of you is doubting your salvation. You know why? Your feelings. Because what you're seeing in this world and hearing in this world, it's got your... What's that word I said? Endocrine system messed up. Some of you, you're messed up. You're doubting your salvation because of what the world's saying. And some of you, because you've done and said some things after you got saved, you don't even know. Could I tell you, the ball's been hit out of the park. It's one. And why don't you just learn to tag first base and you can know that you know that you know from the Word of God that you're saved. And if you're here today, you can know that you know, that you know from the Word of God, you're lost. And some of you today, just like two already, one early, one nine o'clock service, tagged first base. Amen? So the ball's been handed out of the park, but we've got to touch the bases. First base, it's no. You can know from the Word of God that you're saved. But listen, too many people, the ball's been handed out of the park, and they run to first, and they just stay there. You know what God says today? Advance. You don't stop at first. Get to second. What does second represent today? Now, I don't know nothing about baseball. But in this sermon, it represents grow. Once we know at first base, then we got to get to second base, and that represents we got to grow. Look here. Now, listen. We've had a lot of people saved in the last 10 days, two weeks. I'm talking about a lot of people saved. 25, 30, two this morning. And that means they tag first base. But do we want them to stay there exciting southeast? No. Some of you have stayed on first base. I don't want you to stay there. I want you to advance to second. Begin to grow. What does grow look like? Listen. Get in the water. Get baptized. You're never going to grow and be the effective Christian if you don't follow through with the first thing that God tells us to do after we get saved, and that's get baptized. And many of you just got your baptism on the wrong side of salvation. You thought you saved, you got baptized, but really you just got dunked because later in life you realized from the Word of God you wasn't saved and you really got saved, but you think you was baptized when you wasn't baptized because that's before you got saved, you just got dunked. And I'll tell you what you need today, you need to get in the water. It's biblical. Acts 2.38. Peter is preaching. And man, they were cut to the heart. I, I had my heart touched Friday night. I mean, every preacher wants people to head to the altar before you ever get to the invitation. They see where you're going, they're cut to the heart and the head. And I'm telling you, I was preaching at that little cowboy church on Friday night. And before I even started my third point, let me tell you, in the back row was an old crippled up cowboy. And let me tell you what he done. He stood up before I ever started my third point, And he got a hold of his Bible like it was a grandkid. I know something about them. And he usually walks with a cane. And while I'm still preaching, Miss Nettie, my third point, 
He didn't get his cane. He hugged his Bible and he started walking about this fast. I could hardly preach the sermon because he done knew where I was headed. And he was responding before I ever give God's invitation. Man, preachers long for the day that the Word of God begins to cut the heart of those listening. And before they can ever extend their invitation, people are coming to God. Man, I could hardly preach that third point watching an old man cripple down that gravel aisle in that barn. Because he was responding. But in Acts chapter 2, it wasn't one old crippled cowboy headed to the altar. That whole bunch cut Peter off and said, when they's cut to the hurt, what? They's cut to the heart from the Word of God. What shall we do? What did he say? Repent. You know what that means? Touch first. Get saved. And be baptized. What's that mean? Advance to second. Every one of you, repent and be baptized. And it's that way all through the Bible. Do you remember Philip when he was instructed to overtake the chariot? Who was in the chariot? The Ethiopian eunuch. What was he reading? The book of Isaiah. Wasn't he? And he was a religious man. He didn't understand it. And when Philip got in there, he asked him a question. Who is this speaking of? And my Bible says Philip began to preach Jesus. Do you realize you can preach Jesus? I think Dave's done that on Wednesday night out of any book of the Bible. Philip begins to preach Jesus out of the book of Isaiah. And what happens? I believe that old Ethiopian eunuch who had been to church, maybe a religious guy, was cut to the heart. And he says, hey, Phil. That's what he told him. Philip. Hey, man. There's some water. What hinders me from baptism? Can I put it in the sermon today, terms of the sermon I'm preaching today? You got to touch first base first. You must believe in the Lord. And then we can go to second. Let's get in the water. And what did that eunuch say? I believe in the Lord. He touched first base. Philip took him down in the water. If you want to grow after you know, number one, you've got to get in the water. And I believe there's a bunch in the church today that need to advance from first to second, and you need to get in the water. But number two, on grow, you need to get in the Word. You know what Paul told Timothy? Be diligent to show yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be what? Well, I tell you what, the knowledge of the Word of God in our churches, there's a bunch of people probably ought to be ashamed. Especially if you think the epistles are the wife of the apostles. But look here. A worker who does not need to be ashamed. Listen to this. Rightly dividing the Word of Truth. That's my middle child, youngest boy back there at the sound booth. Some people think it may be a little bit of a problem. I think it's a pretty good thing to have. He's pretty competitive. He was competitive as a player. Let me tell you something that frustrated him. And he verbalized it more than once to Dad. They won't learn the plays. When you're competitive, you want your teammates to learn the plays. You want your teammate... To execute the plays. Since then, he's become a coach. And his aggravation hadn't stopped. Why? People won't learn the plays. They're getting beat up and banged up when the plays are there to bring victory. But the players won't learn the plays. Well, let me tell you where that boy back there at that sound booth got his competitiveness. Hard-headedness from there. Competitiveness from here. Just joking. Look here. I can say to Trenton, when he gets frustrated at his ball teams for not learning the playbook, I've been a pastor for 20 years. And I'm pretty competitive and I want people to win. And it frustrates me sometimes that people won't learn their playbook. They don't know what to do with their burdens. They don't know what to do with their brokenness. They don't know what to do. And it's simply because they just flat out won't get in the Word and learn the playbook. Some of you need to advance to second. You need to get in the water. 
You need to get in the Word. But let me tell you what grow is. Get to worship. You know what Hebrews 10.24 says? Let us consider one another. Hmm. Let us consider one another. Well, what consider one another in what? That we love each other and stir up good works among us. Where do we do that? Consider one another that we may love on and stir up. Not forsaking the assembling of our people together. Look up here. Next time you decide not to come to church, let me just tell you, that's selfish. Because he said when it says get to worship, you ought to consider the others. Somebody at church needs you. Remember, I've said it before. You're that guy, you're that gal that's that encourager, and somebody's down and out. Don't be selfish. Get to church. Somebody needs encouraged. Somebody needs a word of, of hope. And you say, well, I'm not an encourager. I'm just an old stick in the mud. Get to church. You're going to encourage me not to be like you. <laughs> you say, well, I, I, I'm really... Listen, you just come in all sour... And you're going to encourage somebody. They look miserable. I don't want to be miserable. They've encouraged me. Don't let me be like that. Right? Look here. When I spoke to that football team several years ago, I thought it was the neatest thing when I was telling them they, they, they would never be perfect, but they needed to practice. The football coach came to me and he said, I'll tell you what I've done. If somebody misses practice the next day when they come, they have to stand before the team and they have to tell them what was more important to them yesterday than them being at practice. Now, how would you like to be a football player? And I mean, you're competing for a championship and you miss practice one day and the coach says, uh, uh, can you get up here, Mr. Rob, and tell us why you miss practice? And I get up there and I look at him and I think, oh my gosh, this is going to hurt. I had an ingrown toenail. It was on my second to my big toe, and it was ingrown. Think that's going to hold water? Dave, you missed practice. Rob missed because of an ingrown toenail. Dave gets up there, and he says, it was my third cousin on my mama's side. They had a birthday party. and I know I hadn't seen him in 12 years, but... Well, ice cream and cake sounded better than practice. Come on. And I thought, boy, that's a pretty good idea to get him to show up. And when I left there, the Holy Spirit of God spoke to my heart. I said, boy, that'd be something. And God said, well, let me tell you what's going to happen one day. Everybody look up here. Don't miss this. People's going to have to stand before me and all of heaven and say what was more important. Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, what was more important than coming to worship the guy that hit the ball out of the park when you struck out? You better get in worship. It's high time we quit letting everything be our excuse for not being at worship and start letting worship be our excuse for not being anywhere else and all God's people said you want to grow get in the water you want to grow get in the word you want to grow get to worship one more thing while we're on second base get to work Romans 12 says we've all got a gift then let us use them verse 6 when you get saved you've got something to give to this body I mean, look, I think about football teams. There's guys that never get on the court, but they're a big help. There's a purpose when they're in practice. I think about the ones that don't do nothing but run water to the, to the timeout huddles. I, I think to those that, that carry the cords of the coaches. Come on. That sideline is full of people that we don't ever know about, but they got as much responsibility as the guy under the center. Because their part matters. When are we going to realize that in the church? You've got a part. You've got a job. Then do it. And then I get tickled at all these sports fans. Oh, we won. We won. 
You ever been on the field there at Norman or Stillwater or Dallas? Mm-mm. Have you ever took a snap? Have you ever carried a water? Have you ever got batteries in the headset for that? Have you ever sat in the, in the skybox and looked down and give some advice? No. What do you mean we won? How about better stated, they won. You never done nothing. Well, do we do that in the church? I'm just here to tell you. This is exciting Southeast Baptist Church. And I'm telling you, Glenn brought to my attention, we've had eight services in a row where souls are saved, lives are changed, and God is working. And many of you are saying, man, we win, we win. If you're not praying, if you're not coming, if you're not working, listen, praying. You can pray from wherever you're at. But if you're not praying for our outreach, don't you say we won. You say they won. I'll tell you what, if you grow, you're going to at least pray for our outreaches. You're going to get there, you're going to mow, you're going to weed eat, you're going to sit. Everybody's got a job. And I know you can't be there, but prayer is work and you can pray for it. And you're sitting here today and say, well, I can do that. But if you didn't, guess what? Don't be saying, we won. But if you pray, go ahead and say, we won. To me, you've got to be on the field to take part of the victory. You've got to have a part. Balls hit out of the park. I'm pinch running. I've tagged first. I know that I know. We need to advance to second. And we need to grow. We need to get in the water, get in the word, get to worship, and get to work. Listen. But God's saying today, get to third. Ball's knocked out of the park. Don't stop. So if first is no, second is grow, what's third? Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples out of all nations. Let me tell you what go looks for, looks like. I'm going I'm to wrap this thing up in another 30, 45 minutes. What does go look like? Show it in your walk. You know what Paul told the church at Ephesus? Let your walk be worthy of the gospel. See, the first responsibility we've got is to do our best to live it. In other words, if we're pinch runners, let us run in the base be worthy of the pinch hitter, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. And if you don't live a life, if you don't show it in your walk, let me tell you, you're going to be like Lot. When you share it with your family, you're going to be the laughing stock. They laughed at Lot. Why? He didn't show it in his walk. Right? So if you're going to go, you've got to show it in your walk. But number two, if you're going to go, you've got to share it with your words. Gary said it. We've got to sow the seed. Quit examining the soil and start sharing the Word of God. Okay? I went to First Baptist Telequal to listen to Bill Britt on Sunday night and Monday night and wanted to get there on Tuesday night, but didn't. And when I thought about this third point, I thought of two things he said on different nights. And I want you to listen to them and see if they don't grab a hold of your heart. I'm talking about going. I'm convinced most of us don't go because of fear, which to me is peer pressure. And often we as adults think peer pressure is something in high school. I'm convinced as I've pastored a church for 20 years, there's more peer pressure than adults than ever even thought about being in a high school. You may disagree with that, but listen, study people like this guy. I'm just a people watcher. I'd soon do that to anything. And a lot of people don't do things they want to do because of fear and peer pressure. Got me? Bill Britt tells the story of he was preaching revival, and there was a high school girl. Got any high school kids here? A high school girl. She was bringing somebody with her every night, more than one most nights, but every night somebody she brought with them was getting saved. A lot like Matt Jones, Glenn. Well, Matt Jones been on it. He keeps bringing them, and they keep getting saved. Look here. One night, Bill Britt just thought that was amazing that this high school girl was getting high school students there and they was getting saved. So he goes up to her and he says, Ma'am, I am amazed at you getting these kids here and they're getting saved. 
this statement ought to pierce your heart. He said, what do you do about peer pressure, ma'am? She said, Mr. Britt, I am the peer pressure. Folks, I think it's time the church becomes the peer pressure of the world instead of the world being the peer pressure for the church. Can I get an amen? Amen. We need to become the peer pressure. Then the next night, he told about us knowing what to do but not doing it. And he said, we've all got these questions when we get to heaven, right? Abraham, what was it like taking your son to Mount Moriah? Jonah, what was it like in the belly of that fish? Was it a whale? I mean, we, we, there's a lot of controversy over that. Was it a whale? I've always thought I want to go to Elijah and say, man, how intimidating was it at Mount Carmel? I love that story. I mean, all kinds of questions. Paul, what was it like to get stoned? Paul, those shipwrecks. What about, what about Paul when you shook that snake off and kept preaching? But old Bill Brett said, I'm convinced that if it's Paul that we want to ask questions, he's going to stop us before we ever ask a question. And he said, before you ask many questions, I got a few questions for you. And Paul would begin. You ready? Is it true you folks have phones? Is it true you could just punch a few numbers and talk to anybody, anytime, any place? Yeah. Is it true you had these things called cars? You didn't have to depend on the tide. You didn't have to depend on the wind to sail in a boat. And the boat you did have had motors. You didn't just kind of go where the wind carried you. Is it true you guys had airplanes? Is it true you guys could get a thousand miles lickety split without having to walk? Is it true you guys worshipped in buildings that had air conditions and heaters? And how do we have to answer every one of them questions? We got phones. We got real good modern transportation. Is it true you guys had a Bible like everybody had a copy of God's Word? Yeah. They didn't. Are you listening to me? And I think the last piercing question is going to go, then why did you guys not go, go, go? Folks, we've got everything in our hand to make a big difference that Paul didn't have and he still made a big difference. God help us to get off a first, get off a second, and get to third and go. Show it in our walk. Share it with our lips. Now look here. There's only one thing that's contrary to getting home base with it being heaven. Ever thought about that? The trumpet's going to sound. Some are going to have to cross home plate, meaning that's heaven. But they're going to have to come from first base. Some, when the trumpet sounds, they've advanced from first. They're at second. They was in the middle of growing. The trumpets sound, and you know what they're going to have to do? They're going to have to come from second base to home. Now, look here. That ain't, come on, I'm preaching baseball terms. You don't come to home from first. It just ain't right. You don't come to home from second. It just ain't right. But many, when the trumpet sounds, will come from first base to home. Many will come from second base to home. You know what that is? Saved yet is through fire. You know what that is? Saved in the Greek by the skin of your teeth. Do you want to go to home from first? Do you want to go to home from second? But many are going to come to home from where you should. Third base. And the pinch hitters become the ump. 
And when you come by, he pats you on the back. And only the ones that come from third will you hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. You tag the bases. You touch the bases. You ever seen one of them Grand Slam home runs? I mean the team sitting there high-fiving you. Can you imagine that day? Not coming from first. Not coming from second. But you know, you grow, and you go. You're coming from third. And they're all lined up. The umps is safe. And then there's your team. Oh, Abraham high-fives you. Huh? Oh, Isaac, put her low, brother. Then in my sanctified imagination, old Peter slapped me on the butt. Way to go. I mean, have you ever watched a home run? They get it from every direction, up here, down here. And then I couldn't help but think, Brother Marty, no, I got thinking about old Paul. He's short, so I just walked by him and said, what's up? <laughs> Sorry, Bo. I mean, can you imagine what it's going to be like when you've touched every base and they're waiting for you at heaven? The high fives. Slapped on the rear by Peter. Rub old Paul's head and then you come to Grandpa. He gives you a hug. You come to Daddy. You come to Mama. You come to that child. You come to that spouse. And... Man, you're just loving on them. And the only guy I know that can be the ump and still be the coach, there he is again. I thought I just passed you, Jesus, as ump. Oh, yeah, but I'm the coach too. And he's there to give you a great big old hug and again say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So here's what I'm telling you today. If you're listening, say I am. You don't want to go home from first. You don't want to go home from second. You want to go home from third because the welcome and the celebration will be so much greater. Amen. So here's what I'm telling you. Just four hours, me and God in that truck. The bases are loaded today. And a bunch of you has been on the same base for a long, long, long time. And God is saying today, I hit it out of the park. Advance. Amen. So I close with this story. 1924 World Series. You remember it? Washington Senators versus New York. Game seven at Washington. Show how much I don't even know about baseball. I don't know if it's the bottom or the top. All I know, Washington had last bats. Is that the bottom? That's the bottom. Games tied, two outs. Goose Goslin at the plate. Four pitches have been thrown. Have you staying with me? He's got two strikes and two balls. They're playing at Washington. The tension in the crowd. Will Washington win its first World Series? Fifth pitch comes in and old Goose Goslin, he leans into it and he hits it. And when he hits it, everybody in the stadium was sure it was a home run, but I appreciate old Goose Goslin. He wasn't sure it was a home run, so he wasn't doing the home run trot. He was doing the desperation sprint. And they all watched the ball hit the top inch of the fence and bounce back in to the playing field. Come on, two outs. And in the park home run, it's rare. But it's all on the line. So you know what? When Goose Goslin rounded second and handed to third, what do you think that third base coach was doing? It's all on the line. Goose Goslin rounded third base. The ball is in the air. He's running down the baseline. Now listen to this. I'm going to put it in Glenn Clark terms for you. Ray Charles 
could see Goose Goslin beat the tag. In case you didn't know it, Ray's blind. So you've got a whole stadium full of people that it was evident Goose Goslin beat the tag. Now, I don't know a lot about baseball, but I'm pretty sure every time I've ever watched it, the minute somebody tries it, it's immediate. Either, he's out! Or it's immediate, he's safe! Right? Not the case in 1924. Evident he beat the tag. Crowd erupts because they could see he beat the tag. But the ump, nothing. No sign. He gathered the other umps. They conversed. And then he stepped back after their conversation and said, The runner is out. Can you imagine what the crowd done? It was evident he beat the tag. They went bananas. They went nuts. They went crazy to the point that they had to head the mic to the umpire. And the umpire said this. It was evident to us just like it was evident to you that the runner beat the tag at home plate. The runner is not out because he didn't beat the tag at home plate. What you might not have seen is that Goose Goslin missed first base. Therefore, the runner is out. What would be worse than beating the tag at home at the World Series only to find out you missed first base? I'll tell you what what would be worse is to sit in church and doubt and not know, be baptized, be in the Word. Huh? Even go. I think there's some people in the Bible like that, wasn't they? I think they grew and I think they went because they prophesied. They done many signs. They done many miracles. But the ump, Jesus Christ, what did he say when they come to home plate? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. But what happened? You didn't touch first base. You didn't get saved. Look up here. I want to pastor a church that touches first base. If you're saved, I want you to know it. And if you're lost, I want you to know it, and I want you to fix it. And look, the only one that can fix it for you is the Bible. Your feelings can't, others can't, and yourself can't. And today, some of you need to touch first base in that you need to be saved. You realize today you're not. And if you are saved today, you realize, man, I hadn't felt it, but I am. Because I've done what the Word of God says. These altars, can they represent first base today? Because you're never going to be effective till you know. And if you know you're not saved, get saved. And if you didn't know, get it sured up that you are. And we'll never advance to second until you know that. Touch first. The altars, for some of you today, will be first base. But listen to me. Some of you, you know you're saved. And you've been standing on first base. Somebody after I preached at the early service said, is there a time limit to run the bases? I went now, I went straight to a baseball player because I thought about it. Uh, uh, one that really studied. But I said, is there a time limit? And said, you know, I've never heard. But it ain't like somebody to hit a home run, go stand at first for 30 minutes. First time somebody does, I guarantee you the rules will be changed. They'll put a time limit. I don't know if there is or not. But, I mean, it's just kind of crazy to think somebody hit a home run, run over to first. And just <laughs> isn't it? It's crazy, isn't it? What's crazier? He hit the ball out of the park for you at Calvary. He was your pinch hitter. He says, be my pinch runner. And how many in the churches just run to first and just stood? Today, God says, advance. Get in the water. Get in the Word. Get to worship. Get to work. And you're not done after you get 
tagged up at second base. He says, get to third. You've got to go. Show it in your walk. Share it in your words. If you want to go home from the right place, it's third base. Tag them all. The ball's been knocked out of the park. Let's all stand. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. If you're here today, I want you to listen to me. If you have not done what the Word of God says, and right now you know if you crossed home plate, you would hear the saddest words in the Bible, depart from me. Come on, your head's bowed, your eyes closed, you're in a circle, and you're not for certain you would hear. Enter in, my good and faithful servant. If that's you today, listen. You can get saved. You tag first base today in salvation. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Is anybody in the house today, you realize right now, I need to tag first base. Is anybody here? The Holy Spirit's talking to you and you say, I've got to tag first. I've got to get saved today. Is there anybody? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Is that anybody in the house? All right, I want everybody to look up here right now. Come on. If you have sat there, and here's a sermon coming, the ministry of doubt. That's another one I worked on behind the wheel. Sometimes we think our doubts are terrible. Sometimes doubts is a ministry. Doubts are good. Why do you say that? Well, let me ask you this. Is pain good or bad? We think of it as bad. But pain, if we feel the pain, guess what we got? Life. We got something wrong. And we know something's wrong. Why? We don't like pain, but it points out there's something wrong. To me, pain is a great sign of life. I've never walked by a corpse at a, at a funeral home and them say, I got a migraine. I've never had a dead person raise up and say, oh, stomachache. They're dead. They don't hurt. I remember dragging a calf off one time, or dad dragging a calf off one time, and I was in the back watching that calf, and I said, Dad, you're going to hurt him. Hurt that calf, he's dead. So pain's a good thing. Pain shows life. I think there's a sermon in doubt. When I was lost, I never doubted the things of God. I got saved. There's a lot of things I kind of doubt. So sometimes doubt's just showing us life, and it's showing us there's something wrong. Think that'll preach? Maybe it's coming, the ministry of doubt. But today you've been doubting this thing called salvation. But today you realize, man, I hadn't always felt saved. But man, the Word of God, I've done everything it says, so I am saved. Man, other people, they've had their opinions of me. And I tell you what, a lost person trying to evaluate a saved person, they're going to get us coming, they're going to get us going, Brother Harold. So today what I realized is the ball's been knocked out of the park and what I base my salvation on is not my feelings, not other people's, not even myself. I base my salvation on thus saith the Word of God. And some of you, guess what? You need to come and tag first base today and say, I'm going to stake right down now. I may not feel like it tomorrow, but I've been preached to and I'm going to come and I'm going to kneel and I'm going to do that this Sunday morning so that I can know that I know I'm saved and I'm going to come to first base and tag it today. Anybody? You need to be saved? First base, altar. You just need the assurance? Come on, get down here and say, Thank God I'm saved and I ain't relying on my feelings, others, or even myself. Bases are loaded today. And sad to say, many are on first. But God says today, advance. How many of you have been saved? You've tagged first base and you know it. Come on. But you've never been in the water. I think today, some of you need to come up here and say, it's time for me to get a biblical baptism. Man, you thought you was saved and you just got dunked, but since then you've got saved and you know it. And guess what? You've not been in the water for baptism. You've just been in the water for dunking. Would anybody say that today? Man, I've got to get to second base. I've got to advance. I've got to get baptized. How about the Word? You know the playbook? Might want to get right here at second base today and say, man, I need in the water and I need in the Word. I need to learn the playbook. I'm getting beat up in life because I don't know the playbook. Some of you realize, man, I've got to get more serious about worship. I've let things, I'm here today, but I've let things be my excuse for not being here where I need to let being here be my excuse for not being there. Come on. You need to get to second today. 
And some of you need to get your hands to the plow, your nose to the grind. You need to become a prayer warrior for a church that's storming the gates of hell. You need to be a, a, a prayer warrior. You need to wave your hands to the plow. You need to drive stake tents. You need to park cars. You need to work concessions. You need to be under the tent. You need to be in the nursery. We're wearing our nurseries out. You need to be on the, on the cooking cruise. Come on! It's time to get to second. Get to work. But I hope these altars are full because look here, I believe first and second are full of people. I believe they are full of people. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a crowd on first and second base and God's saying today, advance, get to third. I need some people that will go. And you've not been going because of peer and fear from pressure. Would anybody tag this altar and let it be your third base today? Would anybody? Man, I'm ready to go. I know I've grown, but today I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be the peer pressure instead of being the recipient of the peer pressure. Amen. Father, we love you. We praise you. Let this altar be a first base for some. Let this altar be a second base for some. Let this altar be a third base for some. Because, Father, our desire is to, when the trumpet sounds, to come to heaven, not from first, not from second, but come from third, where we'll be greeted with a well done, my good and faithful servant. Is God speaking to you today to advance? And if